Glad you're here. This is a good day to be in God's house. Uh, I'm going to ask Steve and Joni Hauser to stand. They've, uh, Steve was an elder in our church for many years. Joni worked in the office staff. And uh, they moved away to pastor a church down in Marion, Indiana, where they've been many years. And they've just retired and come back and asked to have their membership here reinstated. So our elders unanimously approved of that. Can we just put our hands together and welcome Steve and Joni Hauser? Some of you are newer and didn't, didn't remember that, so I, I uh, thought it was important to explain that. And also I want to mention that as soon as we're finished with this service here, we're going to have an after party, which is just down this hallway on the left, first door. You see the sign on the door, it says after party. That's where I'm going to be hanging out. We've got coffee and refreshments. And uh, anyone that's interested in uh, connecting with me, I am interested in connecting with you. I'd like to get to chat with you and get to know you a little bit better. That's where I'm going to be, okay? Right afterwards. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Did I say that? Did I have everybody turned there? Acts chapter 3. Here's the, uh, let, me, let me set this story up a little bit before we get into it. Jesus came to the earth to represent God and represent man. He's the mediator. At the end of his life of uh, helping other people along their journey, he was crucified, died, put in a tomb, on the third day rose again, made several appearances to his disciples, and then ascended. And before he ascended, he told his disciples, now go back and wait for the promise of the Father. So they went back, found a meeting place, and they hung out there. And the story went on that the promise of the Father finally arrived. And the Holy Spirit fell on 120 who were gathered in that meeting place. And it was a glorious experience. Their life was changed. They had a new ability to communicate with God that they hadn't had before. It was an amazing thing. But now what? The 120 had found a good meeting place. I mean, I'm sure they made it as comfortable as they could. If they opened the windows, they even had air conditioning. And I'm sure they set up some decorations to remind them of their faith and found ways to continue to tell their story and, and communicate and encourage one another. It was, it was a great, glorious experience. But what now? Is this the end of the road? Is this the end of the journey? What does God want of them at this point? And uh, this is where we pick up our story here in Acts chapter 3. It says in verse 1, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. This is the first of five parts of the story I want us to see. And we're going to call this the divine encounter. It's this encounter, this God-arranged encounter between Peter and John going to pray and this lame man who is begging You see, he had a physical problem. 
And because he wasn't able to get around, he had some friends. Everybody say, thank God for friends. Some friends who carried him to this place by the gate beautiful to beg. They helped him out. So it says he'd been this way since birth. So he never did learn how to toddle around the house. Never did learn how to work his ankles and balance himself standing up. Never did learn that. He's always been down on the ground. And now his friends picked him up and they carried him to this place I'm going to call Beggar's Row. I don't know what they called it. But let's say it's Beggar's Row because this is the place where people who were blind and lame and had other physical disabilities and weren't able to work. And yeah, maybe there was some lazy people there, but I think most probably they were all had some kind of disability, unable to function. And they would sit there with a little container, a cup in their hands, and they would cry out in the, the, the Aramaic or Hebrew version of alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And you see, they had learned where to sit. Because if you want people to be generous to you, you have to go where the generous people are. So he went to the gate beautiful, the main entrance to go into the temple at the time of prayer. There was a strategy here. If you want to be where generous people are, you go where God's people are, because they're the ones that tend to realize, I don't get ahead by getting greedy. I get ahead by investing in the kingdom. And so he was, uh, he, he was there waiting. Now, notice it says the story begins one day. If it were the Sabbath day, I would think he would have said the Sabbath day, but he didn't say that. One day. Why doesn't it specify which day? It must be because it really doesn't matter what day it was. Maybe they couldn't even remember what day this happened. But it was one day. That says to me, it can be any day. There's no particular day of the week God wants to set up a divine encounter. It can be on Monday as well as Sunday. So then we learn it's Peter and John coming to the temple. Two. And we learn from that that the church is supposed to be in a community. We're supposed to be functioning together. We're not, we're not supposed to be Lone Ranger Christians. Me and God, we got a good thing going. It's beyond that. We do things in community. We take somebody else and we, we, we serve the kingdom of God together yes. as a team. And so they're going into the temple. We all understand that the temple in this story represents the church, the meeting place, that, that's where prayer takes place. So they're going into the temple at the time of prayer. I've discovered that if I don't have a time for prayer, I don't have time for prayer. Everything else crowds, crowds in. I don't know about you, but my schedule's busy. I got a lot of things going on. I got a lot of things to do. And I'm one of these guys, I like to be prepared. I want, I want to have some notes on where I'm going. I want to have thought it through. I want to be set up. So it's at the time of prayer. I think we all need to find a time of prayer. And one of the, one of the best times can be in your car on the way to work. 
instead of listening to that other stuff you listen to on the radio. Just have a conversation with God, and you can expect God to talk back, to speak to us. So it's a chance encounter that Peter and John get there just as the lame man is begging. God set it up. I don't think for a a believer that puts our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ there there are accidental chance encounters. I think God orchestrates that. And when you begin to to understand that, you begin to look for that, and you begin to see those encounters as, as God's arrangement in your life. If you, if you don't look for it, you don't see it. You just think, well, boy, that was lucky. It's, there's more than luck involved in the life of a Christian who has put our life in his hands. So he's been lame since his birth. He was born this way. And that makes me think, well, what could be the lesson in here for, uh, for me? Well, there's one thing we all have in common. We are all sinners from birth. You don't have to teach your grandkids or your kids to do the wrong thing. They're going to press their luck and they're going to see what they can get away with. You did it. Why don't you think they won't? Everybody's got to test the limits. Everybody's got to see how far we can go before mom and dad says, nope, that's it. Cross the line. And I'm thankful that I have a dad who's always got his eye on me. So the purpose was to beg. He's got no bargaining chips. He has to beg. Beggars don't have anything to offer. Beggars just are asking for somebody to help them out. It's the divine encounter. I want us to go on in the story to the second part I want us to see about the church coming out in verses 3 and 4. When the lame man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. Look at us. This is what I'm calling the divine engagement. You can go clear through your Christian life having a conversation with God and never engage in His purpose for your life. Never engage in someone else. As a matter of fact, some people will take advantage of you. Some people will stab you in the back. And it's dangerous to engage a sinner because you never know what you're going to get in exchange. But if you don't engage, you ignore. And some people go through life safe, but ignoring. They don't make eye contact. Keep your head down. One thing I, I taught my boys growing up is when you meet somebody, you shake hands with them, you squeeze a little bit, and you look them in the eye. You look them in the eye. You don't look off somewhere else like you're afraid of them, like they're a threat to you. You look them in the eye. You make, you make eye contact. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. Engage people. 
Don't be afraid of people. You are a child of God, and God's given you a purpose, and he's put his Holy Spirit inside of you. Don't be afraid of people. My wife often tells me, run to the roar. Don't be intimidated by those people. Step into it. When the lame man saw Peter and John, he saw them first. When he saw them coming, some hope rose up in him. I wonder what he saw in Peter and John that made him feel hopeful. What he wants, you know, is money. So he's not looking for people like himself. He's looking for people that look like they got it together. What a lesson for me. I need to carry myself like I got it together. When I, when people, when I bump into people at Walmart and Kroger and Home Depot, I need to act like I got it together. I need to look like I got it together. I need to look, I need to act like I, I'm not just window shopping here. I know what I came for. <laughs> Put a little bit of confidence in yourself. You're a child of God, and God's going to set you up with somebody wherever you go, like it or not. That's why he put his spirit inside of you, not to tickle you, but to use you so you could be a part of his blessing. We need to have hope in every step we take. Because when we walk like we have hope, other people see that. People who don't have hope see that in us. So Peter looked straight at him. Eye contact. Looked him in the eye. Looked straight at him. And he said, look at us. Focus. I know there's lots more people coming. I know there's people look like they got more money than us. But look at us. Look here. Look right here. Attention right here. Personal atten- attention. If we're going to talk to people about Christ and be a representative, we have to give them personal attention. That's the divine engagement. We have to have an engagement with people. Give people something that gives them hope, confidence, assuredness, which takes us to the third part of the story, which is in verses 5 and 6. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to give something or to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, that's pretty that's a pretty gutsy thing to say to a lame man who's been lame all his life who's sitting on beggar's row with a whole lot of other people just like him. That's pretty gutsy. Walk. This is, I'm I'm calling this the divine expectation. It says the man was expecting to get something from him. What do you think he was expecting to get from Peter and John? Money. That's what he was expecting. That's what he's hoping for. He's got his hope built up because these guys come walking in like they got it together. He's hoping that they're going to share some of their got it togetherness with him. That's what he's hoping. That's where his faith is. He's expecting. How many 
mothers do we have in the room? Raise your hand if you're a mother. Yeah. You remember what it was like when you were expecting? There was hope in the air. There were dreams being formed. You had plans going. If you knew if it was a boy or a girl, you started making plans on pink or blue. You started looking to the future. It was hope. It was expectation. You were expecting. Now, here's a lame man who's never been able to work, who's got his hopes up now. He's got some expectation. Maybe they're, maybe they're actually going to put a silver dollar in my cup. Maybe these guys will be amply generous today. Maybe this is my good day. And the first thing Peter and John said was, silver and gold, we don't have. They popped this bubble right up front. See, Christians shouldn't be leading other people along. You don't come to Christ so that he can bless you and make you rich. You come to Christ because he's going to set you free of the shame and the guilt of your past. He's going to give you hope for a future. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. So we don't have any silver and gold. We don't have what you're, what you're looking for. But what we have, we're going to give to you. We're going to be givers. We're going to give you what we have. And what did they have? Authority. They had authority to help this man with his problems. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus said this to his disciples, Behold, I have, past tense, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. He's talking about the power of the enemy. He's not talking about insects and bugs that can sting you and put pain in you. He's talking about the power of the enemy that can put a sting in your life. I've given you authority over all that. Did you know today, this morning, on July 6th, 7th? I got to fix my watch. <laughs> on July 7th, you have authority. Did you know that? I think most of the church doesn't know that. We think our authority is someday when we die, we'll go to heaven. There's authority and power right now in our yes. lives. Yes. We've, got to, we've got to understand this. We've got to grasp this. It's the divine expectation. Now notice also, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. It's not enough just to talk about God. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He goes way beyond that. Muslims talk about God. But the way to the Father is through the Son. Jesus said, John 14, no man comes to the Father except through the Son. He's the only hope we have. That's why us Christians cannot just stay inside our comfortable meeting room where we can be encouraged and the Holy Spirit can stroke us and, and encourage us. We've got to get outside of our meeting room. We've got to go out there where the hurts of the world are. We've got to go out there where Jesus went. Amen. That's what it's all about. And we've got to talk to people about Jesus, not just God. 
Jesus is the key to getting to the Father. We have to understand that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it glorifies God the Father when we talk about Jesus. And every knee's got to bow, including <coughs> Mr. Lame Man's disability. Yeah. Got to bow. So they told him, walk. They could see he couldn't walk. Everybody around could see. He had a reputation. He can't walk. But they tell him to walk. What are they doing? Trying to humiliate him? Trying to embarrass him? No, they're trying to give him a vision. They're trying to give him a dream. They're trying to fill him with hope. They're trying to give him the expectation that God, what God can do in his life. Walk. And the lame man just sits there because he knows he can't walk. Just like a man or a woman bound up in addictions, they know they can't just walk away. They know they can't just change. They've tried that again and again. They can't break away. So they just sit there like the layman. You see how this relates to our lives today? Let's go on to the next point. It starts in verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I'll bet he was praising God. He'd never stood before. And now he's not just standing, he's running, leaping, and praising God every step of the way because he just had his eyes opened. This is what I'm calling the divine, ex, or the divine excitement. I remember as a new Christian, <coughs> when I was filled with the Spirit, there was this hunger, this driving hunger, appetite inside of me for the Word of God. Amen. My first pastor was Dennis Kutzner. And he would, he would go out to these revival meetings, these holy roller revival meetings. I mean, they were over the top. I would go to those things. Why? Because I was so hungry for more of God. I went out and I put together my, my dollars and I bought a fairly expensive Bible. And I started reading it and devouring it. I had this hunger for God to speak to me and show me His ways. I was excited, and I have to do something with that excitement. And if we're not careful, we can have an encounter with God that builds up all the excitement, and we go to the meeting place and fall asleep because everybody else has gone cold. We need to stir each other. We need to wake each other up. We need to excite each other. There are so many stories of amazing deliverance in this church. People who were bound up in sin and shame and God delivered you and set you free and gave you life purpose. Yes. But we don't know those stories because the church is ashamed of our past. 
That's our story. We ought to speak it up. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was lame, but now I'm doing good. This gets me in trouble when I jump and the box pops up. Where am I at? Oh, Peter took him by the right hand. You see, there's nothing wrong with his hands. He's got a problem with his feet and his ankles and his legs. Nothing wrong with his hand. So Peter grabs him in the area he can do something with. Takes him by the hand and helps him up. The lame man had no confidence, but Peter helps him up. And as he helps him up, his ankles receive strength. The power of God shows up because Peter reached down and grabbed his hand and helped him up. The power of God in our life is not to make us rich. It's so that we can be a channel and God can touch someone else's life and restore someone else and lift someone else up. And as we reach out and help someone up from their addiction, help someone up from their failure and discouragement, help someone up from the, from the mess in their life, when we help people up, the power of God flows into their life. It's not going to flow unless we help them up. And I've heard Christians say, well, I, you know, I prayed for them, but it must be their fault. They didn't believe enough. It's your responsibility. Grab them by the hand and help them up. If they're financially irresponsible and they're in poverty and they can't break away, somebody needs to sit down with them and coach them a little bit. That's taking them by the hand and helping them up. Uh, I'm running out of time, but remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Got down in the ditch with the man to help him up. That's the model we have. Jesus, it's a, the Good Samaritan is a story of Jesus getting down where they were. But it's a model for us if we want to be Good Samaritans. He was excited. He was celebrating. His hope had been restored. He's excited. Oh, but wait just a minute. If people discover he, he can now walk around, then he may not be welcome over here with this crowd of beggars. You see, he's fit in over here real well. These are his friends. These are his buddies. And he hangs out there every day because he identifies with them. They identify with him. He may lose that social connection if he keeps walking around like he's got it together. Do I want to go back and hang out with them so that I can be like them and be accepted? Or do I need to have a new group of people that I socialize with? You hear what I'm saying? Can you read between the lines? Sometimes when God sets us free, we have to stop hanging out with the people we used to hang out with because they fed our dysfunction. Sometimes I need to disassociate from them and I need to associate with a whole new group of people who think different, act different, talk different, and have different goals in life. So he decides he's not going to walk the life he, I shouldn't say walk, he's not going to live the life he used to live. He's going to live a new life. 
So he decides he's going to go to the prayer meeting. And when he gets to the prayer meeting, everybody's going to see who it is. He's going to have a new testimony. It's not the old testimony he had. You know, God's not been good to me. Look at all the bad luck I've had in my life. He's not going to have that story anymore. Now he's got a good story to tell. Amen. Had a young, young man one time you know, in our church, and he, he came and, and he asked if he could get up in front of the church and share his testimony. And I said, what is your testimony? And all he did was give me a bunch of woes, a bunch of grief, a bunch of bad things happening in his life. And I told him, I said, I want to pray for you. And then when God brings you a breakthrough, you've got a story to tell. Because he didn't have a testimony. His testimony was the same as the lame man. Alms for the poor. Won't you pray for me? Won't you feel sorry for me? Get it together. God has called all of us to get it together. Which takes us to, to the fifth point, and we've got to wrap this up, running out of time. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, and that's all the further we need to go. It's not what he said to them that's important, it's that he now had a platform. Yes. Now he had people that wanted an explanation, and he's got something to tell them. Yes, he's got a story to tell. This is what I'm, going, I'm calling the divine expansion. The church is supposed to expand like this. The church is supposed to be growing like this. The church is supposed to be blooming. It's supposed to be uh, constantly new people coming in and the old folks embracing the new as they come in with their dysfunctions. When all the people, I don't, I don't know if that means everybody in the town saw him, all kind of means inclusive, a whole, a whole bunch of people. When they saw him, they put two and two together and said in their minds, wait a minute, this is the guy we see every day, day after day, sitting there asking for alms, and here he is walking around. What has happened to him? We, we saw his skinny legs where his muscles had atrophied. and he, uh, we, we saw him sitting there. We saw he didn't have any hope. And all of a sudden, he looks normal. What has happened? And the people were full of wonder and amazement. And I really do believe that if we had the time to listen to every one of our stories in the church on how you came to know Christ as your Savior when you once didn't, if we could hear those stories, the church would be full of wonder and amazement Amen. at the grace of God. Amen. Wonder and amazement should be normal in the church. To hear people's testimony of, of, of encountering God and having their life changed should be normal part of the church. In other words, don't hide your story. 
shame is something that we need to deal with, not hide. We all were pretty stupid before we knew Christ, right? Uh, okay, I'll leave it right there. <laughs> Listen, it says the man held on to Peter and John. Yes. He held on to them. Wherever they went, he went. If they turned left, he turned left. Because he, that this, the only point of reference he had for people who had their life together was Peter and John. And he wanted to follow them. When I first gave my life to the Lord, I wanted, the, uh, the, the only minister I knew at that point was Dennis Kutzner. And he pastored a little country Methodist church out in the middle of no place, out in a cornfield between Hamilton and Edgerton. It was a Methodist church. And I had never been to a Methodist church before in my life. But that's where he was, so that's where I wanted to be. I latched on to him. He was my role model, even though he was younger than me. And when, when, when he wanted to go off these holer roller meetings, I went with him because, not because I heard about a meeting, but because I wanted to be with him. He was my coach. He was my mentor in those early days. That's discipleship. He latched on to Peter and John. Peter and John didn't drive him away. They embraced him. Discipleship in the church of Jesus Christ should be you and I embracing brothers and sisters who come to the faith, even if they don't have their life together like we do. Discipleship. So when everybody began talking about it, and crowds of people came to see what's going on because of the wonder and amazement, Peter said to them, and it's not really important to our study of the, how the church came out of the closet, how the church came out of its place of hiding, how the church got out of its stained glass environment and went out into the world. That's important. What he said is secondary. The fact that he had people that were now interested, that's the good news. That's the good news. So it's our job. So what were the, what were the words again? Uh, to encounter people, engage with people, get some expectation built up in them, create some divine excitement, and see the church expand. That's the church, the church's emergence, the emergence of the church. The church for too long had been hiding out inside our meeting place. And I want to challenge you this morning that in just a couple minutes, I'm going to say amen at the end of a prayer, and we're going to walk out of these doors, and that's where the church can come alive. Right. And expect God to set up the encounter, but you have to do the engaging. And don't be afraid, because it's not your power that changes them, it's the power of God. You just have to engage and be willing to reach your hand out. Take somebody by the hand and help them up. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.
Clock says I got one minute. Just enough time to talk to the Lord. Heavenly Father, on behalf of every person in this room, and I'm including myself, we pray that you would empower us as we walk out of these doors. We go back to our workplaces uh, tomorrow. Go, uh, we get back into our social groups and, and, and meet people in the neighborhood. We pray that you'd help us not to be afraid of people, but to be willing to engage. And as we engage, Father, just let the Holy Spirit set up the conversation. Let the Holy Spirit set things up for us to be a channel of blessing, that, the, that your power would go through us and touch the lives of others around us, and thus expand your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Consider yourself empowered. You got the power. Let's go use it. Amen? Amen. amen. Go with God. He loves you.